Yes. One, two, three, four, five. Awesome. Okay, here we go. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. <laughs> Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you. And you too. Thankfully, our intro is so long, I was able to get up and close the door that I had forgotten to close. <laughs> like, all right, he's, he's leaving. All right. I'm done. I cool. walked off the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, with all this, all this uh, quarantine stuff and everything, have you been cooking a lot at home? I've been using my Instant Pot a little bit, but I have a feeling that wasn't the point of this conversation. <laughs> no, it's just casual conversation. What are you talking about, we have Your been... list, list of things to chat about. <laughs> We've been cooking a lot here, too, and uh, um, we, we're doing some Chinese food. Do you know how much uh, Chinese dumplings weigh? I don't. About wonton. <laughs> I like that because you, like, for a microsecond, fumbled the wall, and, like, my brain got it. So that was delightful. Yeah. Uh, about wonton. You have to insert your own sounder. You're grading yourself oh, now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> no, right before... There uh, we go. So right before we pressed record about five seconds ago, uh, we were talking about um, haircuts because uh, yeah. you had turned around at one point on the <laughs> Zoom and I saw the back of your hair is like all wavy and <laughs> luscious and thick. And <laughs> so normally I cut my own hair and with my uh, medieval monk look, uh, <laughs> I... I keeping the side and back hair as short as possible makes it so it's reasonable and uh my hair naturally gets curly it's you know salt and pepper gray now and uh and so during this quarantine lockdown i've been just letting it go wild because it just turns into like nasty clown hair uh <laughs> just poofing out from the sides and everything and it is uh, a very 80s bald look where like the yes. the typical male pattern baldness but they had the huge or like lobot from empire strikes back <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly so it just it just goes out and so nick has never seen it this long or or anything uh for good reason and so we're talking about dyeing it like ah. fire engine red or chartreuse green or just something comical comical uh you know just just go straight joker with it green would be insane it would match the dinosaur onesie <laughs> you're wearing right now yes it would <laughs> or you um, could just put sun in in it again like you did when you were a kid oh and gosh. have that beachy just, southern california hair just snap it off uh yeah oh my gosh but uh so uh, Nick's hair has been he he grows a full head of hair and a lot of it and uh he hasn't had a haircut since uh you know March or or February yeah. or whatever 
and uh and so he finally got fed up with it and was like you're cutting my hair <laughs> and uh so i i crammed some youtube uh tutorials and there was one that was really fantastic laid out the kind of the primary steps and how to do those uh and um uh, so i i watched that a couple times literally in the middle of nick's haircut i i'm like okay I need to rewatch this one step again. <laughs> and so we opened up YouTube and rewatched that one step. And I, thankfully I did because I was, I was, you know, uh, not going to do it right. right. And uh, it turned out, I would say like 90%. Like there's some yeah. areas that are, are underpreferred, but uh, <laughs> definitely like he feels happy with it, which wow. is all, all that mattered. That is a huge, uh, a huge trust step to have somebody and not like, I mean, let's be honest, if something went wrong with cutting your hair, it's like, oh, Who cares? you know, whatever. But Nick is someone with, like you said, a lot of hair and he likes to style like he's, yeah, he's a not picky fussy customer. or particular, but he's, uh, he is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's call it duck a duck yeah he, he's very fussy very particular and uh the only rework i i had to do was just a little tuft of hair around the ears uh other than that uh he was he was uh good with the first draft so wow yeah well that's yeah. great well i went i was uh getting my my refill at and remind me because i want to go back to refill but i was uh there's a little barber place by the 7-eleven and i saw that was open today and like haircuts for me are like such a luxury and such a I, luxury is a little wrong word but like to me it is i love getting haircuts for some reason it just it just makes me i just love everything about them except <laughs> having to t except having to talk to the barber <laughs> exactly but i've devised a way to not to not have to talk oh there's nick's hair yeah i saw those pictures that's should be our our picture for this week's episode just <laughs> is nick's hair but yeah i mean there's you included some style and some it's not just a basic like flat top or buzz cut. It's it was fairly involved what you did to him. Oh yeah, <laughs> the before photos are. Just <laughs> he does ridiculous. have very similar hair to me in that it's like pin straight and that there's a lot of it, but he doesn't have any of the cowlicks that make my hair. Do you remember? We're all over the place today, but that's okay. <laughs> Do you remember one of our war of Wikipedia's where one of my entries was uncombable hair syndrome? <laughs> yes. That is all I've been thinking about lately is uncombed because my hair every once every few I remember in fifth grade. Wow, this I'm sorry everyone for this episode. This is therapy with Todd and Mark. But I was uh, ten years old. I was in in fifth grade, and we were taking pictures for the church uh, the church directory where you every family. This is back in the '80s, so every family would take a little picture and it would have their like phone number and their exactly. contact information and stuff like that. The church directory. And I spent, it was like, right as I was kind of coming aware of like how you look, you're kind of that age. And I just remember trying to comb my hair and just, it would not, it was just not working or whatever. And so that next year I got a buzz cut and I kept that for years, just shaved it all off. But, um, <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm lost in my own story, <laughs> but to me, I love getting haircuts. And so yep. 
every couple of years, I still, as an adult, try to grow it out, and it just doesn't work. There are too many cowlicks, and it's just too straight and, and whatever, and so I keep it short. And so for me to go without a haircut for two months is like I'm going insane. <laughs> I, I I hate feeling it on my neck and my ears and waking up with bedhead and all that. And so I saw the barber open, and I was like, for me in all this quarantine, that's the temptation, right? Like I can deny everyone else's temptations. Like just don't do that or whatever. But then mine comes up and I'm like, (gasps) but I, it's, it's been interesting because I don't know when I'll feel comfortable getting a haircut. Like right now I'm comfortable going to do that. I'm comfortable doing many things, but the haircut thing, and not because I don't trust the barber per se, but just it's, one of those contact points yep. of hygiene, especially. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. and yeah, there's 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 no like, remote distancing uh, anything with with that. You're yeah. you're full contact. You might as well you know just slip him the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my tip is. <laughs> but yeah, it's been so. I'm I'm waffling constantly between. Just keeping it growing as part of the COVID experience, you know, looking back and saying, you know, this is we all looked like garbage during that time of our life and just having that as part of the whole experience. Or the second thing is just uh, shaving it off, you know, buzzing it all down because I've done that a couple times before in my life. But my head is so tiny. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm so skinny that I look like a cancer patient <laughs> and I, and it's not summer yet. So I'm still Oregon white. So I would just look like <laughs> a walking corpse <laughs> or to go back and get, you know, just take my chances and get a haircut. So that's the emotional turmoil I've been in and I haven't been paying attention to the news. So I'm assuming that's the biggest point of psychological contention in this country. Is Yeah, pretty, pretty much. That's all good. that people care about right now. Cool. Well, then let's just dive right into the news. Uh, A weird ongoing theme and story in the history of our podcast, which I now realize we have been covering for two years, is the story of Necco wafers. So attention again, specifically my mom, whose birthday it is today, by the way. Oh, happy birthday, mom. Yes, they're out in uh, in Minnesota visiting my uh, brother and sister-in-law. They took their RV, so they're able, and they're parked in, like, this church, abandoned church parking lot, so they're able to, like, not con- have to be in contact with anyone, which is great. Um, but NECA wafers are officially back after a two-year absence. So <laughs> I ha- I kept having to check the, the byline and the date of this story, but this is indeed... Uh, from last week. So again, the New the New England Confectionery Company, which is what NECO stands for, shut its doors for good in 2018. And NECO lovers have been anxiously awaiting the day where their favorite chalky candy would find its way back. Um, so the Ohio-based Spangler Candy Company is the one who bought uh, the NECO company, uh, which involved the NECO wafers, Sweetheart, and the Sweetheart Conversation Hearts, the little, those chalky oh, yeah. versions of the NECO wafers. <laughs> Um, so, uh, NECA wafers will return to drugstores and pharmacies across the country by late May or early June, uh, and other stores in July. So the rollout will contain the original eight flavors, which is lemon, li- and uh, can you, okay. No. Yeah, no, there's no say. flavors. It's chalky, <laughs> yellow chalky, 
<laughs> There's brown the brown chalky. the brown chalky, chalky and the and the white and red chalky. So these are the flavors of fake news from Neko Company that Neko wafers claim to have: lemon, lime, orange, what? and now we get weird. Well, wintergreen, so that's not weird, although clearly a lie. Clove. What? Cinnamon. Are these new? Uh, no, this is the original eight flavors. So lemon, lime, orange, clove, cinnamon, wintergreen, licorice, and chocolate. So maybe those were the original flavors, but not all of them made them to the... Well, it says huh. they will still contain, so... I, yeah, I, no, I'm, I'll I'm, have to get my mother online to see if she knew <laughs> that indeed that was supposed to be lemon flavored what she was eating. The clove I, one makes sense because like I I have like a sense memory of tasting what I thought would be chocolate but was clove instead. Right, and licorice I can also vouch for, and chocolate, but yeah. none of the uh, uh, wintergreen. Okay. But it, but wintergreen is, and there's not pink. even a, there's red one. There's not even a strawberry flavor. I figured that was always supposed to be like the berry flavored, but there isn't a berry flavor. I guess that was orange. This orange. is very confusing. What a weird set of flavors: <laughs> lemon, lime, orange, clove, cinnamon, wintergreen, licorice, and chocolate. What a and, nightmare! And we tied an onion around our our belts because <laughs> that was the fashion back in the day. <laughs> the original recipe made it to us on the Hindenburg. <laughs> Um, so anyway uh, they only alter the only thing that's different is the chocolate is going to be a slightly richer chocolate taste this says Uh, the packaging won't change it'll still be in that weird wax uh, wrapper so uh, the CEO said quote we've always admired the brand and how it's woven in with the fabric of our culture it's neat to be eating candy that was uh oh you took over my screen oh sorry (laughs) There you go. Uh, It's neat. This is still the CEO. It's neat to be eating a candy that was carried by Civil War soldiers and taken on Arctic expeditions and and issued to GIs in World War II as a morale booster. Oh, that I'm sure was. Someday we'll make a second batch. (laughs) You know, it would be the perfect candy to send into space. It's basically (laughs) freeze dried. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you brought up the that screen there of the original flavors. So yeah, yeah. So wow. this is the. Uh, I guess so. Wintergreen is the pink one, right? And clove. Yeah, no wonder I'm so confused. <laughs> so I would eat the strawberry one, which was wintergreen. I'd eat the grape one, which is cloves. <laughs> my goodness, my mind is blown. Uh, yeah, I and cinnamon no, is, is white. white. What is happening? <laughs> That's they they purposefully like cross crossed our senses. They really did. <laughs> no wonder. Oh my gosh, this answer so many. Cinnamon's and I love how white. the Neko like, is stamped not in the middle. They're like just, <laughs> just they're just haphazardly barely stamped on each one. The only one that makes sense is orange is orange and, and lemon. lemon is yellow or I guess lime is green. And licorice, but yeah, cinnamon well, licor- clove and licorice looks blue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that it's that bl- powder black. 
Wow. All right. Well, why don't you take us through the next story there? Oh. Oh. Now I Actually, I'll do the next one, and up. you can talk about uh, SpaceX uh, after <clears throat> oh, that. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I've got so, SpaceX. Uh, uh, sort of having to do with uh, Tesla is their Cybertruck factory. Now, this is one of those stories that I wouldn't believe except that it, it quotes the Associated Press, which makes me believe it a little bit more. But this sounds like a whole lot of wishful thinking. And the uh, report is that um, the city of Austin and Tulsa are rivals for a new Tesla Gigafactory. Now, there's been a lot of uh, talk with all the sh- uh, the all the um, quarantine stuff. Uh, Elon Musk wants to open his Cybertruck factories and stuff like that in California and has been saying that he wants to maybe take it to a different city. Um and so uh, the rumored automated factory in Tulsa would uh, be about 10,000 jobs. And again, this just all sounds like a lot of wishful thinking, but there um, and the company hasn't publicly commented on it. Um, but there was that AP report. But for right now, I'm, I'm guessing this is a lot of just trying to muster up uh, publicity for places like Tulsa and Austin to um, maybe get a factory if if. Uh, Elon Musk does in fact want to move it out of California so yes indeed and uh, the the big science news news of the week the Dragon docks at the International Space Station uh, almost 20 hours after the NASA SpaceX launch so uh, we watched it here on Wednesday when the countdown stopped at about 16 minutes and and the launch was scrubbed on Wednesday and so their their instantaneous launch window uh, for the next uh, version was uh, yesterday, Saturday. And so they launched. And uh, at the beginning, it was only about a 50-50 chance because of weather. They have to do uh, – I, I just can't imagine all of the variables that go into that. So it's it's all of the uh, the weather that you think about, but there's also – the amount of charge in the air from, uh, you know, that produces lightning, uh, those kind of things. And then all of the different abort zones. So depending on where they are in the launch, uh, they have an abort zone that that weather has to be acceptable as well. So if they launch and then five minutes into the launch, they have to, uh, they have to abort the dragon capsule gets launched off of the rocket and sent into the ocean uh, under parachute and that location has to be acceptable as well and so uh uh it's it's a lot of factors and they they did it and so they they launched we watched the whole launch it was flawless and uh then 19 hours later early this morning they docked with the international space station and uh, uh, they'll stay up there for about 90 days and, and come back. It was wow. awesome. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. We kind of um, all watched watched the launch together sort of over uh, text messaging and stuff like that. And the thing that struck me is that usually when there's a shuttle takeoff, and I, and I guess it's because the shuttle is probably so much heavier and full of stuff, but there's usually like that 30 seconds of the rockets going off and the smoke building up and then finally it slowly goes up. But that rocket just immediately just yeah. took off, which <laughs> sounds dumb did. to say, but it was it was interesting to see. It almost looked fake how it was like. Yeah, it, and there's not as much of a cloud plume behind it because of the fuel that they use doesn't produce 
the the same you know the solid rocket boosters on the space shuttle produced a very white cloud yeah and and uh the falcon 9 uh just doesn't uh as as much so it's 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 you know it still creates water vapor but the uh temperature or the pressure or something is different and and doesn't create as sharp of a uh contrail behind yeah. the 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 rocket it's, it was really really impressive yeah and, and i didn't look up a video since then but watching the booster rocket or whatever return to earth oh. and there was the one second glitch in the live thing and then all of a sudden the next frame it was just there and i'm there, like holy yeah. cow <laughs> conspiracies totally uh and and that's just because the you're 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 landing a 12-story tower uh, onto a moving dock. It is so the insane. Ocean. What was the name of that dock that they kept saying? It's like, I will always love you or <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I, I uh, we'll, never... we'll look it up. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll look it up. But yeah, they've, they've got uh, two docks and um, it's, it's like, uh, I, We'll, we'll look it up. It was so bizarre. And just to hear They're that, because awesome. like those two announcers that were kind of doing the, the play-by-play were really great. Um, but to hear them, it's like when you hear horse races and they're like, and I never really stood a chance, pulls up from behind. And it's like all these insane names that they give to horses that felt like that was very much the same territory. But um, Autonomous, Elon. Yeah. Named SpaceX drone ships in honor of sci-fi legend. Um, just mm, will be called. Of course, I still love you. And what is that a reference to? So the first one was just read the instructions, <laughs> which um, I, isn't. That, are these the same people that are naming Raspberry Pi iterations? <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're, the Android software, yes, uh, and and Elon's child. Um, <laughs> He's got a uh, marketing team just for ridiculous <laughs> names. Just read the instructions, and of course, I still love you. Are two of the sentient planet-sized culture starships, which first appear in uh, in Banks' The Player of Games. Um, that is, uh, and so it's stupid. a sci-fi book reference. Okay. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> that's dumb. I'm stating that now as a fact on the Mark and Toddcast. That is dumb. <laughs> uh, so related to that is the ISS simulator, and um, so if you, we'll, we'll put a link on the on the post here, but you can also just look up ISS docking simulator, and on the SpaceX website there is a game to play and the game uses the actual software that uh is used within the uh dragon capsule oh wow oh i saw this on their little screens yeah to dock with the international space station so let's uh let's just go ram the uh, space station here um and And that's what this that's what the international space station really looks like too it does. It's, it's uh, so bigger crazy. than a football field, and oh, but that's uh, pretty small. Um, like football fields aren't terribly big. I think they'd want more room in there. Also, well, it's also a 
Uh, it's also in orbit. <laughs> it's in orbit around us. Uh, and but so, they, I mean, it's modular, though, right? And they continually add on and add on yes, and add on. Indeed. And so let's just ram the oh, no. space station here. <gasps> oh, now you're going to miss. Oh, no. There you go. Oh, no. Won't someone think of the children? You you hit that pretty good, though. I oh, hit pretty good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Fail. You, so, you got launched backwards. Every yeah. You had an equal and opposite reaction there. <laughs> yeah, so you have to you have to be perfectly aligned, perfectly centered, perfectly rotated, and be approaching at less than 0.2 meters per second. And wow. so uh, when we just did this now, we were going about 10 meters per second, and we just rammed in at a <laughs> terrible angle. So uh, so spend some time and, and play with that. So the Dragon capsule is autonomous and drives autonomously, but there's a manual override that's available that the pilot uh, uh, will be able to dock manually if he wants to. Okay. Wow. That's so fascinating. I didn't know it was self-driving. <laughs> of course it is. It's a Tesla. It's a Tesla, of course. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. You could just uh the easiest way is just Google ISS docking simulator and you'll you'll find it's on the SpaceX site. I did have an interesting conversation with Colin's older brothers who are 17 and 19 right now, and I kind of asked them um if space meant anything to them because mm -hmm. like obviously us growing up it kind yeah. of did um, because that's when the actual the the space shuttles were a big deal. Obviously, in the '60s, it was a huge deal. But right. like during the '90s and stuff like that, like nobody really cared anymore. And so I wondered if in his generation, like, is this mm. inspiring anything? And he there was like almost no traction. Wow, interesting. Yeah. And and I think that that's a lot of what. Elon is trying to do with the engagement with students and the updating of the uh, flight suits and everything. Just try, you know, if you look inside the Dragon capsule, it's it's incredibly futuristic. Like they, there's four seats in there and three monitors, and uh, they, you know, you pull down the monitor in front of you and beep beep beep, let's launch, yeah. and. Uh, that is the cool uh, aspect of how fantastic. like because it's like, well, what leads the other? Does science has in, historically has science fiction followed what we've already done, <clears throat> predicted like but there right. is it's kind of like the the nature nurture thing where they both fold and I mean, we're still trying to make Star Trek communicators or the holodeck or like those are the things we yeah. chase in reality or like even minority report when they mm -hmm. did all of those screens and all of that technology, how that inspires that next generation of scientists and researchers to do that thing that they saw in the movies. And it's yep. interesting to look at that capsule and the, how they got Hollywood's input on the uniforms and the spacesuits and the capsule and all of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think that is Elon's goal is to refoster that imagination and that the the unified goals of things like space um, and becoming an interplanetary species. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the mission set out for SpaceX when he, when he started SpaceX is to make human humans an interplanetary species. Wow. Well, yeah, 
We're oh, on our ho- way. Hopefully, we're not bringing COVID into space. <laughs> I, so. I did think about that. Yes, but um, anyway. Ha! Yeah. Huh, well, did we have anything else? Is there anything? Well, I was going to ask what's going on in Portland right now, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So in Warsaw, and apparently this is this is kind of an old story, but uh, it just hit my radar. In Warsaw, Poland, they use. I'm going to uh, share a little photo with you. Okay. And they use clams. <gasps> Ooh, I saw this. You did. So so um, clams I... are incredibly sensitive to waterborne uh, uh, things, uh, you know, particles and chemicals in the water. And they only open to feed they open their shells to feed and they will only do that if the water meets certain quality standards for it. They <laughs> will shut their shells in the presence of any. They only drink amount. that Voss water. That's in that weird cylindrical Glass. tube yes. <laughs> with a giant lid right after yoga. <laughs> so- <laughs> They've got their yoga mat and their, yeah, totally. And so uh, and so this picture is of a clam who's been uh, essentially glued to a base and then a spring with a sensor is glued to the top of the shell. And that sensor, uh, that little magnet trips a little reed sensor that is in front of it. So when the clam opens up, the sensor detects that. And when the clam closes, the sensor detects that. And so they have a series of eight clams per uh, water system. What do you call a group of clams, I wonder? <laughs> a, uh, uh, hopefully it's, it references joy and happiness. So a, a, happy, <laughs> a happy of clams. A group of uh, clams is collectively known as a bed of clams. Oh, That's a little bed of clams. Oh, there you go. Not very exciting. Um, and so this this mini bed of clams, <laughs> <Happy> of clams. <laughs> a joyous, a, a celebration of clams. So, um, oh, I love that. So these clams, if the water uh, water quality dips too low, all eight clams will clam up and and shut down and shut off the the city's water system uh, wow. for that for that source and uh it, it so that somebody, must obviously yeah. work for all of the pollutants or all of the it's just I, like a a one-stop unisensor <laughs> i i think so i like it is they're they're incredibly sensitive and and um if the clams don't like it. We shouldn't either. You know, is is probably the the base. That's um, well. I guess it's like a canary in a coal mine. Yep, exactly. Except I guess the canary doesn't just close. It. The canary would just full on die. <laughs> that yeah, that is so. I mean, that just delights me so much to see clams with a cork hot glued onto their lid, <laughs> with a spring attached to it. It's just so. I mean, it's the same thing with medical leeches. How like there is stuff that we just have kind of put by the wayside, uh, you know, to do our space age technology that doesn't work. And we could just use this thing to, to do a thing, which is really great. Wow. <laughs> that is so great. 
I'm I'm we've had a lot of great show titles this whole this whole show a, a happy of clams and a <laughs> it's been a couple of them. Sadly, that's not going to be the the show because the show title is going to be this show is garbage. Awesome. So this past week, one of our listeners, Jason, Jason Pollard of and I looked it up the A. What what is his podcast name? He used to do the the um, the well adjusted gamer. Um, but now is part of the Adventure Club podcast, ACVN or P. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, he's a he's a guy that does a thing. Um, but he uh, sent me a, a little message this week and said and asked have, if we've ever looked into kind of the history of garbage, which oh, is something that like didn't ever occur to me. And I thought, well, that would be really interesting because. Growing up, especially in the 80s, uh, garbage was the thing that was going to destroy the earth. Our landfills mm-hmm. were full and we you know, see garbage around the earth and stuff like that. And while I'm not going to go into garbage and sanitation around the world, because obviously if, if we've seen pictures of different countries around the world and how a lot of them dispose of their garbage, um, they're all very, very different. So I'm. I'll do a little bit of a worldwide history of it, but um, then we'll kind of narrow down into uh, the United States and some other Western countries. So, <clears throat> so uh, uh, through most of history, it's been a mix of either just burying it or burning it. So the first landfill actually was in 3000 BC in Crete. Uh, and they dug large holes and garbage dumped um, and then filled it with dirt at various levels. In China, around 2000 BC, they developed some composting and recycling, like for uh, recycling for bronze. Uh, in 500 BC, Athens uh, or Greece developed a new law claiming garbage must be dumped at least one mile away from the city. Um, now, uh, and in between that, I mean, most of this was just either throw it in the water throw it in the ground but at least take it out somewhere that's not in the city but that um became a problem again because now we get into 1350 which is when we get the black plague which kills 25 million people in about five years and that's when they start tying health to sanitation uh albeit in a very rudimentary way so um around that time this is 1350 uh ad now Britain introduced their first garbage men and they were called rakers and their job was simply just to rake up the trash, put it in a cart and and kind of cart it. And they did that once a week, but still everyone was just throwing everything into the street. Um, Bring out your dead. Yeah, totally. Uh, So in 1388, the English parliament banned the dumping of waste in ditches and public waterways. So that is a surprisingly early, early thing in 1388 (coughs) that they did that. Um, Uh, We have the world's first recorded use of packaging in the year 1551, and that was when a German papermaker started to uh, do paper wrappers with his name and address. So now we're adding not only um, waste from uh, a lot of the waste at this time is is either human waste, sadly, or food waste and stuff like that. We don't have a lot of, obviously, plastics and, and packaging until until the 1500s. Uh, now in, in Manhattan, which was New Amsterdam at the time in 1657, they passed a law about casting waste in the streets. Um, so there wasn't a lot that happened, though, as far as what we did with it. It was still 
every city kind of for itself. And sometimes they did pick it up some, but obviously even we see pictures of the 1800s where the streets are just filthy. Cause I mean, everyone was, everything was horse drawn back then and horse create waste themselves. Um, but then we hit the industrial revolution and what that did was change manufacturing, which meant that there was a lot more manufacturing waste either from the manufacturing site or just people getting and using things that are now manufactured on a huge scale. Um, so there is at that time, we're now in the 1700s. Um, and now the garbage men are called in, in England are called toshers, mudlarks or dustmen. <laughs> so, um, and they would, uh, since now a lot of the waste material is from manufacturing, uh, scavengers now kind of like the meth addicts of their time go around and like, just like, just like rodents will pick up all the stuff and go for resale. So now we have a whole industry of, of scavengers that you have to deal with too. Um, and they're reselling everything like that. So in order to prevent mass scavenging, there was the public health act of 1875. And that was given authority for waste collection. Um, so uh, they didn't really even have anything called a dustbin or a waste basket or anything until hmm. this was passed. And most of this was like for ashes and for uh, for um, for other for other little waste. But the, the concept of an actual trash can wasn't even around until the like huh. the late 1800s, which I'm sure <clears throat> can't be totally true, because like if you're sitting at a desk in the 1800s, you're still like using paper and like writing stuff down. So, but yeah. not until waste management was a thing. Maybe they're meaning the, the way that we mean them, how we have them outside and then we bring them to the curb because there was no curb to bring them to because there was no one to pick them up until 1875. Um, so now we're getting to, um, where are we? Oh, this is interesting. So in 1757, this is 100 years before that act, Ben Franklin, of course he did, uh, started the first street cleaning service and encouraged the public to dis uh, dig pits to dispose their waste, um, hmm. which was interesting. Uh, what are some other things? Oh, in 1864 uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, there was a breakout of yellow fever that they tied to garbage being dumped uh, just in the city. So to minimize that disease, residents were instructed to take their garbage to specific locations on the edge of town. So we're even still figuring that out in 1864. Um, and then laws were starting being passed to, uh, to stop trash being dumped in the streets. I wonder if I wonder if that was the the mask controversy of their time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, in 1866. So this is still I mean, this is so recent. Uh, New York City's Board of Health declared a war on garbage, forbidding the throwing of dead animals, garbage and ashes into the streets. So this is still the common practice of garbage in the late 1800s. I mean, like a hundred and what? I was going to say a hundred years ago, but now it's like 140 because we're old and it's 2020 now. Um, so since, uh, since the main way to get rid of all this stuff was either to throw it in, in a waterway or to burn it, they had to figure out bigger and larger ideas to burn the trash. So that's when the ideas of incinerators first started taking off. So in 1885, America built its first incinerator on government on governor's Island in New York. And I think 
Governor's Island, that's either, I think that's what now the Statue <clears throat> of Liberty is. Can that hmm. be right? Right next to Ellis Island? Why don't you look that up? But that would be kind of funny. Um, so other dumping of the waste would be in the oceans, the wetlands, or just anywhere that's kind of outside um, of where you are. Um, let's see. Oh, most small towns and cities were using what they call piggeries, which were small pig farms designated or designed to consume the town's raw and cooked food waste because still food waste is a huge part of, of waste and waste management. So 75 pigs could consume about one ton of food every day. So 75 wow. pigs eating 2,000 pounds of food a day. Um, in 1914, after much trial and error, incinerators gained more popularity and about 300 were in operation uh, throughout the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and during this time also is the concept of landfills. Now, up to this time, uh, I've kind of been talking about how places have moved, you know, at least brought their trash out of the city. Now, these are in the landfills that we kind of think of when we picture landfills. And those are like those very third world, just huge piles of untreated garbage that, you know, people and, you know, birds are all over. Um, and that's not really what landfills have been for the past, you know, 50 or 60 years. There's a, a demarcation of um, of when landfills kind of. Oh, did you send me a picture of? Yep. Um, he... it, there's kind of a trifecta of, of three little islands. One is Governor's Island, one is Ellis Island, and one is Statue of Liberty. Oh, okay. So, so Governor's Island is the bigger island next to yep. uh, kind of Brooklyn. And, and Okay, interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize. It's funny to see New York from different perspectives like that because we're always used to seeing it like right from the Statue of Liberty over, you know, and you forget that there's a huge waterway that goes through there a lot. <laughs> exactly. Um, so towards, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, uh, specifically about landfills here, uh, landfills here in a little bit, but, uh, they started proper, uh, around the 1930s because that's when the Supreme court banned the dumping of municipal wastes in the ocean. And they started making landfills that, um, were more environmentally, safe than just you know a big open kind of dump like we're thinking of um so the amount of packaging and products disposed increased 67 percent after world war ii so basically we and this is somebody quoted uh america america becomes the throwaway society where we just get all of this packaging and just throw it on the ground there's that episode of Mad Men where they take a, a Don Draper and his wife and daughter they have a little picnic or whatever by a river and they're all eating you know their Kentucky fried chicken out of those big styrofoam bags or whatever and then when they're done they pick up their blanket and they just kind of wave it out and wave all the trash like onto the into the lake and then walk off because that was until our until our Italian friend Iron Eyes Cody taught us to not throw things <laughs> in the water that's just what we did um so then we get kind of the explosion after uh, World War II in the 1950s and 60s of the different garbage trucks that we are used to seeing now, which have the big hydraulic pistons that will, 
you know, either lift it overhead or lift it into the main bay area where it's then, you know, crushed and then uh, picked up from each house's. Um, uh, and it's funny because I got some of my information from what is clearly the union of, of <laughs> trash truck collectors because they're like talking about how wonderful their own trash trucks are and how wonderful the system is. Um, and I didn't look into any of the mob influence in waste management, but um, that's that's kind of beside the point. Um, so now a little bit, uh, about landfills, uh, and then we get, um, as we get kind of to the end of this. So most of what we do with garbage now is move garbage. I, I move garbage and, mm. and the statistics are, uh, the average American produces about seven pounds of garbage a day. And that's between food waste or packaging or just getting rid of old things or, which sounds like a lot, but then you're like, yeah, that's that's pretty reasonable, you know, yeah. that, that adds up pretty quickly. So what we're doing is moving this seven pounds of garbage from my house to my trash can, from the trash can to the truck. The truck then goes to a transfer station, station. where the garbage is then picked up and moved out to landfills. Um, now, how many landfills do you think exist in the United States? Because we're always told landfill, we're running out of landfills, uh, all landfills. of this. What would you guess? Uh, 400. Okay. In the United States. Yes. <laughs> of America. It's eight. If that's eight per state. Yeah. That's, okay. That's All right. Well, so the numbers have actually been going down. Um, and so in 1988, we had 2,000 landfills. Okay. Um, and now we're down to... Um, Oh, wait, that was wrong. So I'm sorry, 19. Good grief. There was 4,000 and now we're down to about 2,000, just under okay. 2,000. Um, and there's goings back and forth about like, well, are we running out of, you know, are we filling our landfills? And the answer is kind of yes and no. no um, right. So what they do for landfills um, isn't just, you know, putting garbage in a pile and smashing it down. They're very constructed and engineered pieces of land um, because obviously you have to take uh, groundwater into consideration. You have to take so many things into consideration. You have to have a place big enough. You have to, nobody wants a landfill next to them. So it's got to be out of populated areas and stuff like that. So um, modern, the first modern sanitary landfill, which is kind of the ones we have now opened in 1937 in Fresno, California. It's a national, it's a national historic landmark. <laughs> <laughs> um so even Still, though even though there has been a decrease in the number of landfills it's be more it we haven't been producing less garbage we've just been consolidating the landfills so our our the amount of of waste we've produced has increased by 30 percent uh even though there's almost been a 30 percent reduction in in the landfills um so seven states are looking at this is this is kind of the information, conflicting information that I got um, about are the landfills filling up. So seven states are looking at running out of are looking to run out of landfill space in the next five years. And one mm. state will reach capacity in five to 10 years. Three states have 11 to 20 years, but 22 states 
uh, have available landfill space for decades to come. Uh, he estimates that the U.S. has about 62 years of landfill capacity remaining in its current facilities. So that's a lot of kind of asterisks at the end of that, because that's if we continue to produce the amount of garbage we do now, which that may go up or may go down, that we may continue to do landfills the same way in the next 60 years, or we could invent a new way of dealing with garbage and stuff like that. Now, remind, remind me about... I can't decide which one I want you to remind me about. Uh, incineration again. Because before I do that, I wanted to at least finish a little bit. I, I remember... Do you remember that story from the 80s about the, the Atari pack or uh, the Atari ET game that was buried in the desert? Yes. Okay. So there's I a... I remember there's that a, story. Yeah, there's a fascinating documentary on that. And I remember watching yep. that documentary and they're trying... They were trying to verify whether or not it was an urban legend that all of these E.T. games were brought out to the desert and buried by Atari. And, and so this yeah. guy looked into it and investigated it, found the most likely landfill area and went out there. And that landfill was run so specifically that they were able to pinpoint where the garbage from 35 years ago was compacted and buried and then dug up and they actually found these video games. They did. And so yes. that blew my mind as to like what landfills are and how engineered they are and how, so in order for them not to impact the environment, you have to lay down a heavy layer of rubber on the bottom and the sides and then clay, which is non-porous and then you lay down your um, your landfill materials, they call them, whatever those are, um, and then daily a layer of soil, a couple inches, is laid over what was the garbage that was laid that day. And then all that is continually compacted. So a lot of times, like even in Southern California, I didn't realize this very specific odd hill that had sprung up was actually a landfill because it was kind of a terraced a weird hmm. terraced hill, but then there was grass growing on it and it was flat and compacted. And so that's what most landfills look like. They have vegetation growing on them and they have to make sure that things aren't leaching into the groundwater and all that. Um, and and <laughs> with one of the videos I watched, uh, this very serious narrator said the material leachate or garbage juice so there's the official the official word for garbage juice is leachate, Ugh. and that's just what they call like Ugh. when it rains and kind of mixes through right. all of the landfill and stuff like that. So they have to very much control for for leachate or garbage Ooh. juice. Um, but back a little bit to the incineration, which was all the rage for a really long time. Well, the big problems with that is that obviously it creates. Um, Oh, yes. <laughs> You're whispering smoke. <laughs> smoke and it pollutants and it uh, actual debris just flying through the air, depending on. I noticed when I did my burn pile a couple of weeks ago it was really wet and it was cold. And and the pieces of detritus that were floating up with the smoke were much bigger than when it's, you know, a different different conditions out. And and when you burn that amount of garbage and trash, you get about 50 percent methane. And then the rest of it is oxygen and nitrogen and stuff like that um, as far as the gases go. So in a lot of places, they still do incinerate garbage. 
and they take the methane from that incineration and use it to create uh, power. So there are places that do generate power through incineration. So landfills aren't the only thing that we use to get rid of garbage, but there are a lot of hazards that go along with incineration. <clears throat> so that has become less and less popular over the years, obviously. Um, toward the end of the 80s now, the Environmental Protection Agency. So the Environmental Protection Agency was set up uh, by Richard Nixon, actually, and had a lot to do with the way that we disposed of waste and especially uh, incineration like that uh, and just the overall environment. So we can actually thank Nixon for the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, so after uh, and then around 1994, President Clinton in, uh, issued an executive order. Uh, which required federal agencies to buy and use recycled materials and all that. Now, recycling is a different uh, case from this, um, but still around 55% of what we throw away ends up in landfills. So um, recycling is different, too, from place to place and blah, blah, blah. But that that has had an impact on what we produce, but we are still producing more more garbage and um but less, less or fewer metals, I guess. You can less metal, fewer metals, fewer metals and less garbage. I don't know. One of right. those things, um, because of those recycling programs and especially for computer stuff like that, how we're able to kind of go through and recycle a lot of that stuff. So it's interesting that still in the in the year 2020, our solutions for getting away garbage is just to bury it because there's not a whole lot else you can do with all of the waste that humans uh, generate. So we are are and are not running out of waste. I mean, there are st if you've been through Montana lately, you'll see we're not running out of space, even if we're running right. out of landfills. So, Well, once we have a space elevator and uh, we can uh, just jettison it into the sun. Into the sun. And, that yeah. always did intrigue me. Like, why? And I'm sure this has to do with orbit and needing enough um, boost to get out of those orbits, but why we don't just like flick something towards the sun because it will eventually get there because it won't <clears throat> stop. So why is that a thing that can happen? Cause right now we're concerned with space trash. Yeah. It, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to add energy to an item to get it out of earth's orbit. Right. So, so, you know, taking a, a tool bag that, you know, the the amount of money to <laughs> try and capture and add energy to a tool bag to get it out of orbit would just well they're dumb. they're trying to make dumb. that space net is one of the things that they're trying to do to clean up this garbage is so yes garbage not just an Earth problem it is a human being problem because of um, just the the nature of what it is so oh there is a a little statistic on recycling. So uh, they're now Americans are now throwing out three times more food than we did in the 1960s. Uh, plastic hmm. water bottles easily recyclable in most places are still only about 30% recycled. So we're still throwing away around 60% of uh, the things that can be easily recycled, like water bottles. Uh, the the overall recycling uh, rate is just over 30%, uh, but in places like Taiwan, it's 55%, and in Austria, it's 63%. Hmm. So, yeah, there are more measures that we can do um, 
but yeah, we are always going to have to figure out our, our problem with waste and how we manage it. And, and right now, I think in America, I think we actually do a, a really decent job of, of containing and keeping safe the, the waste that is just an inevitable byproduct of, of living. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's really fascinating. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, we we as a society and we as Nick and Mark all <laughs> generate way too much waste. Uh, you know, we, uh, and I think a whole nother couple episodes could be addressing um, the, the, the conversation around recycling and the sham that it is. Yeah, and, I do believe we've tension and stuff. We've talked we've about talked recycling. To, yeah, we've had it, that as subject before, but it, that's such a deep dive that yeah. it was it was very generalized. But um, yeah, and even even after doing that episode, I still don't know a lot about how I'm supposed to be recycling just because it's such a convoluted, convoluted mess. I think the number one thing that should happen is that only things that you are allowed to throw in your recycling bin should get that recycled symbol. Because a lot of mm. products are made from recycled materials and have that stamp right. on it, which makes you think, oh, I can recycle this, which you can't in a lot of places. Like one of the things right. that's been so crazy is that since places are not allowing this, this is personal impact COVID story. So be be ready for a harrowing story of my existence, how I'm not allowed to bring my own cups in for refills anymore. And like just being aware of like, oh my gosh, like depending on the day, if I'm out and about, like I'd stop four or five times to get little top offs of my drink, you know, and I'd be using my own cups, but to use a different cup and those cups are not recyclable. Those plastic no. big gulp cups are not recyclable. And like, even just the last couple of months I've gone through hundreds of them. <laughs> but the funny thing now is that obviously everybody's had, uh, there's been a rush on them because they are, 7-Elevens in general right now are out of the double gulp cup, which is the big, the biggest <laughs> right. size, which is the kind that I get. So for anyone that's made it to the end of this podcast, which thankfully I don't think is ever a lot of people. I I texted uh, Nate about Not Nerd Podcast about this once. I don't even think I've told you how for the last two weeks I've had to sneak in my double gulp cup. Because I refuse. This is America. I refuse to use a super a super gulp cup. What am I, an animal? So I've had to drink like a bird. <laughs> and the dumb thing is, I drink maybe eight ounces of it, and the rest is just I mean, it's a security blanket for me. And so, like, you can see now. Like, right. I barely, I barely drink any of it, but I still refuse to get the smaller size. So I've been, I've been having to sneak it in and I'm, I'm high on adrenaline every time I do it. And I have to hold my hand over the big part that says double gulp. And I always have my dollar ready to give them the dollar because, oh, this is how, this is how a life of crime is born. But hopefully that, that disaster of them being out of cups will be out soon and I won't and I also won't be killed by the liberal factions who find out that I've been sneaking my COVID cup back into the stores 
Wow. Well, uh, we just got a CNN alert. Christo uh, of oh, the... Oh, of... Okay, yeah, yeah, yes. Go ahead. He just died. Oh. <laughs> uh, Christo died. I'm sorry. Natural causes. Okay. 79 years old, but... Uh, the artist, wow. uh, he and his and his wife, uh, Jean Claude, Jean Claude, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the the feminine version of that name, Jean Claude, have produced remarkable uh, environment of uh, art around the world. And when I was young, it was the big yellow umbrellas throughout the hills of los angeles yes and um and then that got taken down right after there was a windstorm <laughs> and uh one of the umbrellas killed a <laughs> like person crushed a german tourist or something like that right. yeah that yeah. was in the that must have been the early 90s or late 80s um because i remember he put yeah these gigantic yellow umbrellas all up through the California Hills and up the grapevine up uh, interstate I-5 and I have a picture of me somewhere probably at my mom's house of me standing next to one of the giant yellow umbrellas and that was yeah a huge art installation I think he also in like he in Berlin wrapped an entire building with like red silk so he would just do these huge public art installations um Oh wow! Yeah. Well, let's yeah. all open so our passed away. our yeah. tiny yellow umbrellas for for Cristo. <laughs> so, and while I was looking up the Liberty Island and and Government Island, uh, yeah, or Governor's Island uh, stuff, um, looking on the map, realized that Statue of Liberty is on an island that's actually in New Jersey waters. Did you know this? I didn't. So, so Liberty Island is considered an exclave of the borough of manhattan and so oh um, oh my gosh yeah i'm looking at it now and they've got a dotted line that goes around the statue of liberty and just points all the way over to (laughs) the tip of manhattan Manhattan, yeah yeah and so (laughs) the island is technically new york manhattan borough land surrounded by new jersey water wow i did i had no idea and it's funny ellis island looks like it has a dock that goes all the way to land yeah it has a little has a little jetty i'm almost surprised that they don't do that to the statue of liberty because it looks like it's equidistant from the land as ellis island huh wow that is that's really funny this this has been our most uh like image rich (laughs) (laughs) show (laughs) so i don't know what our thumbnail is gonna look like but um Wow. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. I've done my a lot of old man rambling. <laughs> Apparently, I needed that. Yes, uh, it's, it's funny. It's, you know uh, how they they have that thing of like, if your boss yells at you at work, you come home and you kick a dog. You know, you you transfer that bad mood down and down. I've noticed, um, and they don't listen to this podcast, so they're not going to hear it. But Colin's mom and dad um, actually have now returned to their store and they're preparing i think malls are getting Mm. ready to open so they've been putting their distancing things in and putting up stations and glass and like all of these precautions and actually they said like almost no one else in the mall is doing that like they're like when people come back they're gonna need to know where to stand and what to do and so i'm really glad that they're doing that and but they've been home for the last you know couple months and they're there when i'm there 
And so my role in like I work with special needs kids, but I've worked with this family for 10 years. And so my role in their family isn't like I just take care of Colin. I'm you know, I'm the nanny for their for their family, however their family needs it. And so I always make sure that I talk to each one of the kids for, you know, a half hour to an hour a day, you know, Colin and his brothers and his sister. And but when mom and dad have been home and not been able to talk to any of their friends, I realized inadvertently like, oh, they need that now, too. And so, like, I had to kind of or, you know, fold them into my little schedule of like checking in on people and like listening to them go on and on for a half hour just about things that they haven't been able to talk about. So I have now transferred that to you, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And to the listeners as a whole. So. Thank you for everyone for being my being my <laughs> nanny today. But uh, I might be knocking on your door for a haircut too. Who knows? Cool. <laughs> Come on over. <sighs> I'll sanitize. Yes. Well, I was gonna say check us out on Facebook. You can still check Mark and Todd out on Facebook. You can no longer check out Portland at the movies on Facebook for reasons that are still a mystery. So um, if you're listening to this and. Um, aren't a subscriber to the market or to the to Portland at the movies make sure that you go subscribe to them because for some reason we aren't allowed to use Facebook to promote it anymore so just be sure to be subscribed to that I'll still post it on um, my page and all that so just as a heads up for that hopefully we'll figure out why that's the case but until then I have no idea Mark what should we take us out with I say putting I'm, you on the spot. I'm, I have nothing. Who, 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 yes, you do know. Let the dogs out. Uh, why don't you share some of the music that you were sharing with me last night? You sent over, Aww. you sent over a nice, a nice singer that you said, you know, I really enjoy this man's talent. <laughs> um, and that's yeah, all. So, <laughs> and that's all. Um, his last name is Patrick and his first name is Tanner. Tanner Patrick. Tanner McDreamy. Um, <laughs> Tanner McDreamy Dreamy Patrick is a YouTube star and um, he was um, the, there were two oh yeah, it was Lord's uh, cover. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cover. Which I do love that song still. Yeah, I know you love that song, so <laughs> let's see. Uh, and so it was it was a merging of <laughs> it our... was something we could both enjoy, <laughs> much like the <laughs> Drew Barrymore, Chris O'Donnell movie, Mad Love. <laughs> it has the, something for both of us. Made the, the world's best crossover. <laughs> you know, we well, the first thing that we need to do when quarantine is over is watch Mad Love because we have never actually watched that movie together. And I haven't seen that movie in ages, but I feel like that would Me be neither. really fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For the record, I. Uh, you know, Chris O'Donnell, I had every one of his movies. I grew up loving uh, Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> and I think that's a, uh, I, uh, a filmed partially in Oregon in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, probably. Uh, that movie. Oh, we should do it Portland of the Movies. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see what I got here. Um, is that playing through? Uh, it's not here, but it can. it doesn't need to be. It can just be on the rec- on your end. It's not. <laughs> it's not anywhere. Either. It's not there. Let's go. What if I can't do that? Oh, 
stand by. Stand by. Well, while we're sitting here, Ockley, also go listen to Fun Employment Radio, who are still doing shows every day. Uh, and why don't you go listen to Not Nerd? Not Nerd is a great show that I love every week. It's about technology and how to do it better, but it's not for nerds like Mark because he's too smart for it. It's for people like me who need to know how to use their everyday technology. Who And they have actually saved my butt, Mark, instead of you being the nanny for me in my technology situations. <laughs> they now get the frantic texts and emails when I'm having some sort of technological breakdown. So go check out Not Nerd at NotNerd.com. Oh, and here we go with Lord, or not Lord, what was his name? Uh, his name is no Tanner Patrick. All right, we'll see you guys but later. Song's like old teeth, gray goose tripping in the bathroom, bloodstains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room. We don't care. We're driving Cadillacs in our dreams. But everybody's like crystal, made back diamonds on your timepiece, jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leash. We don't care. We aren't caught up in your love affair, and we'll never be royal. Kind of likes to sing for us. We create a different kind of vibe. Let me All be right. Ruler. Ruler. Oh. <laughs>